HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Escape Makers On Demand Agrotourism Training. For more information, go to escapemaker.biz. That's escapemaker.biz. Hey there, HRN listeners. This is Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears. I know that news about COVID-19 and the coronavirus has made a lot of people nervous about getting sick. This collective unease has already had a big impact on our restaurant and food communities, especially in New York's Chinatowns. We hope that now more than ever, our listeners will join us in supporting restaurants and the hospitality industry at large. Many of the restaurants we love are small, independent businesses. That means that even one or two bad weeks can put them in jeopardy of cutting staff, limiting hours, or even having to close for good. As long as we're still able, we should go out to eat and support our favorite restaurants. I think it's also great to remember that hospitality professionals are really good at hygiene and food safety practices. Long before there were guides all over the news about how to properly wash your hands, they were already experts at hygiene. Guests' health is tantamount to successful hospitality in any restaurant. And even if you don't want to go out, you can still support restaurants by ordering delivery, buying gift cards, and giving them some extra love on social media. What better way to handle a crisis than by supporting those in our own community? If we don't support them now, they might not be there when this crisis is over. Join HRN in supporting restaurants during this time, especially our friends in Chinatowns around the country. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is Lisa Held coming to you live from Full Service Radio at the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C., And you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. Today, my guest is Emma Jagaz, the founding farmer of Moon Valley Farm, an organic farm that is well-known in Baltimore and D.C. and all the surrounding areas for the produce it provides to restaurants and CSA members. Emma, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Lisa. So I really wanted to get you in the studio, but you're a little busy on the farm right now, um, (laughs) which I completely understand. (laughs) And I was actually thinking about, you know, before the show, I was thinking about how people complain about moving so much. Like when you're moving your apartment, your house, you're like, God, packing up my clothes and my furniture. (laughs) And I was like, Emma's moving a farm. And that seems like it would be very difficult. (laughs) Well, I not only moved my house house. Um, oh, right, because you have to move yourself, too. 
Yep. Right. Me and my kids and my parents and their property um, that they've lived on for 40 years. Oh, my gosh. As well as six different farm sites that we were leasing for the past um, either three to eight years, depending on the site. So. <laughs> Um, it's a lot of moving for sure. <laughs> and then I was like, hey, do you want to just take some time out of your day to come on the show? <laughs> well, thank you for making the time. I know um, Absolutely. you're very busy. Um, so I want to I talk a lot about your new farm and why you moved and, and you know, this, this new space that you're in. But let's first go back and talk a little bit about Moon Valley, its origins. Um, when did it first start? I started Moon Valley Farm in late 2011. I really started making compost and um, raised beds at that time. I knew I was going to start the farm officially in 2012 with a CSA program. I had two babies at the time. Hmm. I um, I had two kids under two years old (laughs) who I was raising full-time, and I started that first season with a 15-member CSA program. Um, We were growing on about an eighth of an acre, and by we, I do mean mostly me and my kids (laughs) (laughs) and um, a bunch of fantastic, lovely volunteers who either helped um, me grow vegetables or helped hold my babies. (laughs) Right. So, and you, you didn't have a farming background and you don't come from a farm family. What was the, what was the inspiration? Like, when were you like, I'm going to grow food? Well, I started growing vegetables when I was pregnant with my first child in early 2009, mostly because I read that arugula helps baby brain development. It was just one of those random things that I read in, you know, a a book on how to be, you know, a good pregnant mother. (laughs) And, um... I started buying a lot of arugula at the store, and of course I wanted it organic and uh, local arugula, and um, it just felt like it was getting really outrageously expensive, and so I decided to buy arugula seeds, and I started growing it on my apartment balcony, and of course, like every good uh, grower, I had a couple tomatoes in pots as well Mm. um, on my apartment balcony, and I just fell in love with growing food. I have also always wanted to own my own business ever since uh, a kid. I'm just the the type, the entrepreneurial type who always wanted to work for myself. So um, as I I was raising my kids and growing my vegetable garden, I started growing in ground um, in 2010. And my garden was sort of outrageously large in 2011. Um, and that's when I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make this my business because I really love the idea of raising my kids myself. I want to raise them out in an outside environment, mm-hmm. and I also wanted to work. And so I wanted to do something I was passionate about, and I just felt like I could, I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> what about, like... The, I mean, you know, most people can grow a little tomato, a couple tomatoes, a few arugula plants on their balcony, but like, there's a lot of skill that goes into growing at the scale that you were even in the beginning. Like, did you, was it all self-taught or did you, did you take classes? Um, yes, I think is the appropriate answer. I was self-taught in terms of, uh, really leveraging the internet and books. 
Um, I loved Elliot Coleman's books and mm. just devoured those. Um, and I also found people in my area who were doing it and just called and asked if I could visit their farm. Um, I also took a, a, you know, a greenhouse management course at the local community college. I became a master gardener mm. in 2011 so that I could have some degree of a community of people who were interested in talking about gardening. Right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm self-taught, but I, I, I really started with a community of knowledgeable folks and I'm leaned on them as well. Right. So land access is consistently reported as the number one challenge faced by young and beginning farmers. Um, and you also were in an area where land costs are pretty high, uh, fairly close to the city. And you came up with a really creative solution um, to the challenge of purchasing a very expensive piece of land. Talk about how you did that, um, how you acquired land in a creative way. Well, I think it's important to note that I started the farm on my parents' property, and um, that's where I had that eighth of an acre plot, which grew into a quarter acre and then eventually a half acre of growing space. Mm. Um, but in my first year, I realized that even maxed out at that half acre, I wasn't going to be able to grow everything I wanted to grow for my CSA program. I wanted to grow things that took up a lot of space, like winter squash and watermelons and potatoes. And I, I couldn't really do that on that limited space. So I decided to ask people if um, I could farm their land on a barter agreement. Um, I bartered for a CSA membership, and I, at one point, had eight different plots of land around Baltimore and Hartford County that I, um, I, I bartered, bartered for the use of, um, including two of my parents' next-door neighbors, right, and, and then several, several different plots around. We, we ended 2019 with six sites on barter, um, spanning 15 acres of certified organic production. Wow. And so um, some of these spaces were like when you say your parents' neighbors, was it literally like their backyard? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, it was their backyard. In, in 2013, I started, I was growing on three different sites. So on my second year, I was growing three different sites. It was their property, my parents' property, their next door neighbor, and then one property about 20 minutes away. Um, and we didn't note this yet, but I, I did start the farm with no money as well, <laughs> which is an interesting thing to do. Uh, it's not something I necessarily recommend, but um, I, I bartered for more than just my land use at the mm. time. I, I had my first season, I bartered for tillage equipment. <laughs> ah. um, there's a lovely man in my area who um, was willing to barter with me to, um, to till for me before I could afford to buy my own equipment. Hmm. Um, and, so, when you, and when you say yeah. bartered, were you mainly just giving people food, giving away yeah. vegetables? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, barter for vegetables. 
I mean, it's kind of brilliant because it's it's like you know, good food. These like you know, fresh vegetables. It's it's a big expense for people. So if you know, if you have land that you're not using, if you have equipment you don't need all the time, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. Like, oh, I can get all this fresh, healthy produce. <laughs> well, um, landowners have a few other incentives to barter with beginning farmers as well. Um, and not just beginning farmers, experienced ones. Mm-hmm. Um, they, at a certain, um, in a certain zoning district, they have incentive to barter or to, to let people use their land so that they can stay zoned agriculture and get a tax credit. Ah. Um, so they, they get a significant tax decrease if they're, um, they're leasing out their land. And um, a lot of people who aren't, using the, the land that they own for for anything but lawn, if you will, mm-hmm. um, they have to pay for it to be cut, you know, either in their own time right. and equipment or they have to actually pay for a service. And so managing land costs um, from a tax perspective, from a maintenance perspective, and a lot of the landowners we worked with would say very frankly, yeah, I'm happy to support them, and I really like not mowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. So, that, yeah, there, there's a lot of, of incentives that, that new farmers, or like you said, any farmers really, um, that need to expand can, can offer landowners. Um, so you kind of expanded little by little over the years. And um, so at the end of last season, I think you said you were on almost 15 acres uh, spread out yeah. on those different sites. Um, give us a sense of what you're growing, like the breadth of um, different kinds of produce. I feel like you grow a lot more and a lot more diverse um, vegetables than the average farm, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> we grow a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, across the six properties, we are, um, we were growing for a 250-member CSA program mm. um, that spans a 33-week season. So that's from the beginning of May to the very end of December. And we're growing year-round for the best chefs in the Baltimore and D.C. area. Um, and so that's 52 weeks out of the year. Mm. And... Um, so we're growing a lot of storage crops in order to span our um, fall, winter, and early spring right. sales. Um, and we grow a lot of herbs. We grow over an acre of, of different kinds of herbs, um, everything from the traditional chives and parsley to like really, um, really just fun herbs that I, I think smell cool and look cool and tastes great and some of them are that are just um good for the bees and i don't really mind having them around Mm. um so we do have honeybees on our property as well Mm. um and so we grow a huge diversity of all sorts of different kinds of vegetables and a huge diversity of all sorts of different kinds of herbs (laughs) (laughs) um for to fill csa boxes every single week and to sell to chefs all the time yeah don't don't you grow like a? I I feel like I saw a stat at some point that sh- said you grew like a ridiculous n- number of varieties of peppers. Is that wrong? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember yeah. thinking like I didn't even know there were that many different kinds of peppers. Oh, there's even more. It's it's hard. Um, so I really like 
shopping for different kinds of seeds. Yeah. <laughs> um, we grew over 50 varieties of peppers alone last year. Oh, my gosh. And are, are maintaining that this year. And we grow a ton of different kinds of tomatoes as well and um, winter squashes. Just lots of different varieties of things. I really like... Um, I like having trios of different kinds of crops. So we grow, um, you know, like a, a green zucchini, a yellow squash, a, you know, light green color. I like to grow different colors and varieties of different crops. So an eggplant, we got, you know, the white ones, the pink ones, the purple ones. Mm. Um, so within each crop, we grow a lot of different varietals. Yeah. Makes for a colorful CSA, and I'm sure chefs love that, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just fun. Nice. I think food should be fun as well as delicious, and I think part of the fun of it is how beautiful it looks, and sometimes that means having a show of colors. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about why you decided to pack up and move the farm west. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Escape Makers On Demand Agritourism Training. Did you know that every $1 invested in tourism marketing returns on average $3 to $8 back? Not a bad ROI. Learn how to grow your agritourism business via 12 workshops entirely women-led. These training workshops are on demand and can be downloaded at any time. The local travel landscape is rapidly changing to meet the demands of the leisure, event, and corporate travel sectors. Whether you're a farmer or producer, a winemaker, a restaurateur, or a destination marketing organization, there's more opportunity than ever to capture these markets. The on-demand agritourism training will provide you with insights and skills to keep your target demographic coming back for more. 14 speakers providing six plus hours of education that you can watch at your convenience anytime on any device. Maximize your time, budget, and resources, and focus on creative solutions to help your business thrive. Presented by Escape Maker and Fulton Stall Market, the full conference access pass is now available to purchase. Use the code HERITAGE2020 for $50 off a full pass at checkout. For more information and to purchase your pass, go to escapemaker.biz. That's escapemaker.biz. We're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report. I've been talking to Emma of Moon Valley Farm in Maryland. And we were talking about sort of Moon Valley's first chapter for the first uh, half of the show. And um, fitting fit, in a fitting fashion, we're going to now talk about the next chapter. Um, so, Emma, you know, we talked about your approach that kind of kept your land costs low, that you were operating on all these different plots of land, um, which was brilliant in, ter- in terms of getting started, but it came with some challenges, too. What, what are some of the challenges of running a farm that isn't all in one place? I mean, I think most people who hear that question get stressed about just even (laughs) thinking about the idea of farming on different plots. Most people I talk to are stressed at the idea of me having done that. Yeah. Um, 
And because you can just imagine the challenges and there's, I'm sure more so than most people can even think of uh, right away. Right. <laughs> um, so we weren't able to invest in infrastructure, which was a huge thing um, that, that goes for barns, um, irrigation, mm. um, and uh, and then, you know, those kind of bigger infrastructure pieces, but also the smaller infrastructure pieces like fencing. We wanted to keep things, you know, able to we wanted to be able to pack up if somebody said, hey, you know, I need to sell my property or, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you need to do something different with this land. So everything was very our footprint. We tried to be very light on people's properties. Yeah. Um, I greatly love and appreciate all of the landowners who allowed us to farm on their properties. They're really outstanding human beings. And I wanted to be sure that um, I, I returned the favor in living lightly on their properties. Um, but for a business standpoint, we weren't able to make those long-term investments that would pay off over time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had a we built a mobile walk-in cooler so that we could harvest produce into a cold environment um, and haul it from one site to the other. Um, hmm. We were able to invest in some infrastructure on my parents' property, um, so we had our greenhouses there and our walk-in coolers there and our pack shed there. But it got to a point where. Um, we needed a driveway back to the pack shed. We needed a little bit more power back there. So, you know, we were coming into all of these roadblocks um, with without the ability to really fully invest in it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, on top of that, growing so many different crops, I was trying to grow things, um, you know, really wisely uh, rotate my crops in different in different properties, but sometimes we would have ripe crops on four different plots and we were bouncing around, harvesting here, harvesting there, trying to figure out the logistics. We would get up really early to harvest at one site or to set up harvest for um, the crew before we had to take the kids to school. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, it just became, we felt like, at some point we were spending half our time doing the logistics that if we just had one site, it would just be a no brainer. Everyone just shows up here and harvest, you know, on this side of the field or that side of the field. Um, Right. And what about like equipment too? Are you like taking, like, what about like the tractor? Like, do you, (laughs) are you moving it from, from plot to plot? Oh yeah. yeah. And, so I, we started with no tractor, like I said, no equipment. Mm. And then we had a walk-behind tractor, and I had a minivan that I was hauling my kids um, in the, the seats just behind the driver's seat. And then, and then I was hauling, you know, produce behind that in the back of the van, and then I was hauling the BCS on a trailer behind <laughs> <laughs> minivans can haul trailers, believe it or not. And so... You know, I had like this mobile farm operation, but it was, um, you know, it served us really well. We were able to get familiarized with what soils we wanted, um, with what we wanted when searching for land. Um, 
but it was just something that we we had we had we had come to a head. We really needed to make a decision that would would start um, paying for itself instead of just running us in circles. Yeah. So you decided to um, find a plot of land that would be big enough to kind of consolidate everything. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and like you like you asked about tractors, I, I first started hauling tractors just on the road, uh, just driving the tractor up and down the road. Right. Um, and, and then I had to invest in, you know, I, I had my minivan. I had to buy a truck that was big enough to haul a a tractor, the tractor that I bought was uh, 7,000 pounds oh um, without, without an implement. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, I bought a trailer and I had to, I, I became fantastic at trailering and moving equipment around, but it wasn't the best use of my time. Yeah. Not efficient for sure. No. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so tell us about the new, uh, farm. Like, what does it look like? How big is it? Where exactly are you? We are, um, located in Woodsboro, Maryland, which is about 20 minutes northeast of Frederick. Um, we, we are on a 25 acre parcel that actually has, I think, like three trees on it. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's all open land. Um, and it had, it came with a big barn. Um, so it's 4,000 square foot barn mm. um, that is currently our shop, our germination room, our office, and our pack shed. Um, so it's serving a lot of different spaces. Um, we chose Frederick so that we could keep our customers in both Baltimore and DC. Mm. And because, um, cause it's pretty equidistant from both of those cities. Um, and there's really great and affordable land in the Frederick area. Yeah. Um, uh, we have been searching for land for over a year before finding this space and, um, it just, you know, we knew we wanted to move in the winter time when it was a little bit less crazy to move than, you know, we couldn't really move in the summer or anything like that as farmers. So, um, you know, in the fall, we just, it, we just happened to find this property and it fit as, as many of the, the check marks that we could right. find. Um, Right. So you you moved everything and you're getting set up for the new season, this coming season. Um, and is there like what what will being in this new space allow you to do that you couldn't do on the old farm? Oh, my gosh. Lisa, everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so giddy excited about it. Um, you know, we we are able to invest in mostly wheels. We can do everything on wheels without me spending the time on the road, um, driving everything on trailers. So, um, we can, in our pack shed, we can, um, use pallets, um, move all our produce on pallets because, um, we have a big enough pack shed for that space, um, or pallets or hand carts, um, you know, before in the pack shed at my parents' place, you know, I, I just, 
I wasn't really thinking when I built the coolers of scale or of ergonomics. And so I, I had insulated the floor and you couldn't really move things efficiently around. Mm-hmm. But it's going to add a major um, efficiency component to the farm on every level. Um, we're going to be able to access everything on from the field from a tractor or a UTV. Um, and so it's kind of like an ATV, but, um, you know, less, more, more, uh, utility. Okay. The UX stands for utility. Um, and so everything will be accessible on wheels. Um, our staff will be able to get on the same page without texting or sending pictures <laughs> to one another about, you know, what are you, you know, what are you doing? Oh, you said to pick the kale, but it looks like this here. Right. Click. You know, is this what you meant? You know, um, <laughs> um, you know, we spend a lot of time moving equipment around and getting ready. It'll add to my quality of life so much. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's little things, too, in the, the pack shed in Cockeysville in Baltimore County. Um, we had to drive down, you know, just off-road to get to the pack shed. We didn't have a, a concrete road back to it um and right now we'll be able to drive up so there's just going to be so much more efficiency on on the farm right um yeah it's you know over the past um eight seasons we've gathered a lot of equipment we've doubled up on a lot of things so that we could keep you know hose at every site or you know irrigation at every site um service crates at every site and mm-hmm. um now to have them all together it's it's just it, it's going to add to our efficiency so much more yeah um yeah i'm i'm very very excited it's yeah it's really exciting um i'm curious you know this the way you started was so creative and it you know we talked about the benefits, you know, which is like you started with very little. You didn't have a lot, you didn't have capital or, you know, this land. And, and you were able to get this farm started because of this um, approach. But it also had all these challenges. Um, given what you know now and kind of the journey to where you where you are now and now you have you're going to have this big sort of more efficient operation. Do you see the the way that you did it as a good path for like other farmers to get started? Like, would you recommend that approach to other young beginning farmers? Oh, absolutely. I reflect on this all the time because I think if I were to have bought a farm in 2011 with my two babies, with the idea of really nourishing my community to sort of change the world in whatever way I could. Um, I would, I think I would have bought something, uh, that I didn't really, uh, appreciate in the long term. You know, Mm. I, I think right now when I was searching for land, I was looking for quality soil and quality water. And I think at that point I was thinking more like, um, access to markets was more important than quality soil. I wouldn't have really known what to look for in terms of soil and um, in terms of, 
uh, a barn, I think I would have been a little more turned on by an old uh, farmhouse uh, and like a picturesque. falling down barn that yeah. looks cool. <laughs> yeah. And now with a lot of uh, more experience with running a business and growing, I knew what I wanted to look for in terms of soil quality and in terms of what the what the cost of actually having a, a building and what employees wanted. And, I, you know, I think I just learned so much from doing that. Um, I was also able to establish markets um, without having, you know, it was sort of a trial run on having a business. Yeah. You know, it was a very long and amazing <laughs> trial run. <laughs> I loved every bit of it. Um, but I think that I, I, I think that I was able to say, okay, you know, when I approached the lenders, for example, I was able to say, hey, on without owning any land, I was able to get all of this equipment and all of these people are already my customers. Mm-hmm. So I, I already have a business. That's, that's a much better proposition than approaching a lender and saying, hey, I don't have any experience at all. I really don't know what I'm doing. And I don't have any customers, but can you, <laughs> can you lend me $500,000, please? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a lot safer of a proposition in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and yeah, and you just learned so much along the way. And now you've got all that experience and, and knowledge. Um, I also, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask you before we finish up, um, I, I met you, I think, a year or maybe, maybe two, a year or two ago, and you always, you're just so driven. It always seems like you're working so hard um, with a huge smile on your face, um, <laughs> which I see in person and then also on Instagram often. Um, <laughs> but I just want like, to ask you, you know, that's sort of like the feeling I get from you, and I'm curious what drives you as a farmer. Like, what's the thing that keeps you motivated on the hard days, like when you have to haul the tractor to 10 different sites and it's, you know, bad weather and, you know, what keeps you driven and inspires you to keep doing what you're doing? Well, first of all, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I absolutely am driven by my customers. They are the coolest, best people, I think, in the region. I, I absolutely have the highest respect for my customers. And I am fortunate to have a lot of them. You know, a 250-member mm. CSA is, you know, it's not just 250 people. It's 250 couples or families or households or friends. And, um, and then we serve over 50 of the best restaurants in the area. And... Um, and it's not just the one chef and it, it's not just all the people that work in the kitchen, but it's all of their customers as well. Mm-hmm. And they motivate me all the time. I really want, I, I really believe in what they want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they want to know where their food comes from and they want their food to be nutritional and safe and delicious. Mm-hmm. You know, they want the best tasting produce and they know that that comes from a, a local farm because it was just harvested and um, and they want the flavors of the community. And that's so inspiring to me. I think 
it's it's really one thing to eat a ripe tomato that in season and everybody wants to do that but my customers want to eat local year round they want to do it even when it's just carrots and kale in the winter yeah um and and they they really keep me going i i get little notes all the time (laughs) like i got a a a little note in the mail just yesterday from a csa member who was just you know writing to say that she it was just the cheers. It was just like, I, I love what you're doing. Cheers. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, that, that kind of thing is, is, so, is so fueling for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And um, good luck with getting, getting the season going on the new farm. Thank you. Um, if people want to find out more about Moon Valley, where should they go? Our website is www.moonvalleyfarm.net, and you can also find us on Instagram at Moon Valley Farm and on Facebook. Perfect. Emma, thank you so much. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you all so much for listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. I'll see you next week. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.